Once we accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and we ask him to forgive our sins, and we ask him to come in and be a part of our lives, the vertical relationship never, ever changes. That's for sure for life. But we also have horizontal relationships. And there we mess up. And there we mess up many times. And there we have to have God's help to get us through those messes. and emails. He's praying for your daddy. He got tears in his eyes. He looked at me and he said, why would they pray for me? Who am I that they would pray for me? This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network, and I'm Steve Green. We have a special guest with us today, and she's very special. You know her as Gigi Graham. Gigi, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. Well, so we got to start and get this all out of the way. You only get asked this question every time you do one of these shows. You're Billy Graham's daughter. What's I'm the, the oldest one. And the bestest one, right? Well, you know, Daddy says he doesn't have any favorites, but he does say he loved me the longest. <laughs> yeah, loved you the longest. That's good. I have to remember that line from my daughter. So the question people want to know is what's life like with Daddy? Of course, you know, I don't know anything different. I was born into that family, and it's been a challenge at times, but I would say overall it's been a privilege. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful daddy, and I don't call him father. He's daddy. And I've always felt like he was daddy. And people will show pictures, and they'll say, well, how how does I mean, you see these things on television, and you see pictures, and I mean, can you believe that this man that has, you know, done all of these things is, is Billy Graham is your, you know, and I said, but to me, he's just daddy. So how many of his sermons have you heard over life? Have you heard many live as he went out to crusades? Yes, but, you know, we stayed home. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think we traveled with Daddy. We didn't. We stayed home, went to school, and yeah. Mother stayed with us. And He um, worked hard. He, yes, and Mother never, ever thought of it as being a problem. She thought it was a privilege to be able to mm-hmm. stay home and take care of the children. But So we traveled in the summer every now and then. He did. He was very intentional about getting home for extended periods of time. You told me that the last time I met with you, that he was very intentional about getting home and, and being a father. Yes, he was. Husband. He was. Now, he was gone. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I think it was two times in my life was he gone six months at a time. Mm. And um, that was like during the Korean War. He went right. over and spent Christmas there and so forth. But um, Well, traveling was more difficult, too. It, much more difficult. Mm-hmm. He's got some pretty hair-raising stories about some of his travels. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mother made it always positive. And I think that, you know, if we had been raised by a mother who was negative and complaining, I never, ever, ever, ever heard my mother complain about That's Daddy That's an amazing testimony. And if you read her books, if you read her poetry, you will see that... Some of it's a little introspective, some of it's a little sad, some of it... uh, There she shares some of her doubts, her disappointments, her hurts. Mm -hmm. But with us, she shared the sunshine. Mm -hmm. And with her pen, she shared the shadows. Did she get hurt often from people who were attacking your father? Oh, yes. I mean, goodness, especially during the 60s. It was... But, you know, I never want... There again, I never one time heard my father criticize one of his critics. 
In fact, he would go a step further and listen to them because mm-hmm. he said, you know, maybe they have a point. Maybe they have something I need to learn. Wow. So we didn't sit around the table talking about the critics. Mm-hmm. And he, he loved them. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. Did you learn from that? Did that help you Absolutely. In your life? Absolutely. Good. Something you picked up. Absolutely. Because, you, you know, I think that you can learn from your critics. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody likes to be criticized. But uh, you also have to look, hmm, maybe they've got a point. Maybe there's something I need to learn there. Mm-hmm. And I learned that from Daddy. Well, how's his health? How's he doing today? He can't do much for himself. Mm-hmm. He has wonderful care, wonderful people taking care of him. He's 97. He still has a sense of humor. He still, you know, knows pretty much like he'll know us as his mm-hmm. children that see him. Um, he follows a little bit of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Very, very sweet, always pointing every single person and compliment and everything to the Lord Jesus. He will not accept a compliment. It's always, no, it's him. It's him. The last time Daddy was in the hospital, I went in to see him, and I told him how many people were praying for him and how many people at the uh, Cove, which is the Billy Graham Training Center near Asheville, and I work there. And people would come up to me and say they're praying. I'd get texts and emails. He's, we're praying for your daddy. He got tears in his eyes, and he looked at me, and he said, why would they pray for me? Mm-hmm. Who am I that they would pray for me? Wow. He is an extremely humble man. Um, someone had to do a research paper recently on him, and they got permission to use to call me and ask me some questions about his humility. And I said, well, I'll be glad to give you some examples of humility. But I said, you know, I can't tell you. I said, that's just who he is. He didn't decide one day, well, I'm going to become humble. It's just who daddy is. And I've never seen him be ungracious to anyone. He's extremely gracious. So how many siblings do you have? Uh, Four. I'm the oldest. So all of you were raised by the same two parents. Yes. Had different lifestyles. You all went through different struggles just like everyone else does. And you're here on the other side of it now, and you're on your own. So tell us about some of the ministries that what you're involved in now and what are you doing and kind of bring us up to date. Well, I guess, in fact, recently I asked the Lord because um, I turned 70 this year, and, you know, 60 didn't bother me, but 70... And you start realizing you don't have a lot of time left to fix the things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I began asking the Lord to give me a purpose for the next few years of my life. And obviously, my main purpose is my family. Sure. I have uh, seven children and 20 grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. Daddy has 42 great-grandchildren. Wow. And when you have 42 great-grandchildren, you're going to have problems. So our family does not have a Teflon umbrella over it. Mm-mm. So we have all we go through exactly the same things every other family in the country goes through. But we've also uh, experienced the same grace, the mm-hmm. same mercy, the same strength, the same power, all that the Lord Jesus offers everyone he gives to us. And mm-hmm. we're so grateful for that. But he offers it to everyone. So how's your faith now as you sit here with me at 70? How would you explain your faith to someone else who's journeying? I think my faith would be like anybody else's. I mean, there are days when it's strong. 
I obviously believe it, uh, the Lord Jesus has everything in control. There are times I watch the news and I wonder, but I have to think, yep, he does. <laughs> and uh, I think that there are days when I doubt things. I think we all go through days of mm -hmm. doubt. Um, there are days when I get discouraged. There are days when I get depressed. Mm -hmm. But then I remember and look back and how he's brought me through the last thing I went through. And I'm encouraged and realize that he's there again and that yeah. he'll never fail me. He's never failed me yet. And he's never going to fail me. Amen. Do you have a favorite Bible verse, a section that you kind of lean on? Well, I don't think I could have a favorite because it depends on what you're going through. You, you know, go. of course, obviously the Psalms, but I guess the end of Romans 8 would be just about my favorite. Nothing mm -hmm. can separate us from the love of God. Good. That sounds like your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that we have to realize that the, um, the verdict, once we accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior and we ask him to forgive our sins and we ask him to come in and be a part of our lives, the vertical relationship never, ever changes. That's for sure for life. But we also have horizontal relationships. And there we mess up. And there yeah. we mess up many times. And there we have to have God's help to get us through those messes. And yeah. uh, that's a different story. But those things do change. But the vertical doesn't change. So with that thought, we've got some several, we'll call them millennials because everyone else does. They're 20-somethings, young 30s. Uh, you're wise. You're of counsel to many young women. What do you say to these, this generation, this young generation in their 20s, your grandchildren? What do you say to them to inspire them based on your life's journey? Right now, two things. One is, uh, and this comes from Michael Card, so this is not something that's original with me, but I heard him give a sermon one time at the Cove that really impressed me. And that was what he calls it, bullet theology. Okay, and you asked about the country today. And I think that I try to tell my grandchildren, you know, it's what you need is bullet theology. What are the important things? What would you take a bullet for? Mm. You know, if, if, if someone comes up to you and puts a you know, knife to your throat or puts a gun to your head, what would you take a bullet for? And you know there are not many things. You're not going to take a bullet for what kind of music is in the church. You're not going to take a bullet for how if, if the pastor wears a robe or not. You're not going to take a bullet for these things. But what would you take a bullet for? That's what you teach. And the other thing is that I have made, when you say I'm wise, I'm not. I'm not a wise person. I've made many mistakes in my life. So Maybe that makes you wiser. But... but <laughs> But I tell young people, I said, you know, as every mistake I've made in my life has been because I have looked to someone or something to be to me what only Jesus Christ can be. Mm -hmm. Get your eyes on the wrong thing. So, so these young people then, what do you think they need to hear? Uh, well, they need to, I think they need to hear, number one, that uh, being a Christian is not nearly as difficult as is made out to be many times. Um, I grew up in an era where there were a lot of rules, spiritual rules and crazy rules. Um, Mother, of course, was great at teaching us, um, you know, to not major on minor things. And that's where I say, you know, about the bullet theology. I think that especially in today's world, we have just got to cling to the things that are really, truly important spiritually.
mm-hmm. and then stick to that. And then if you're in the workplace, I have children that work in secular workplace, and um, sometimes one of them confessed to me, said, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm a Christian. My goodness. He says, now I use other terms. You know, he says, I'm a Christ, I'm a person that follows Jesus Christ, or I'm something. But he says, you know, because the word Christian and the word evangelical has even become more complicated. And people don't have a don't have a real good impression of Christians. And I'm thinking, that is so sad. I grew up so opposite from that. I grew up around Christians that gave me an appetite for what they had. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like them. Yes. And now today, people don't want to be like us. They don't. They don't see anything. They see a bunch of hypocrites. Having. Right. They see a bunch of judgmental people. Mm-hmm. And you don't win people to Jesus Christ by being judgmental. Do you have hope for this generation? Do you think they're going to? You can't lose hope. No, no because our hope, is, our hope is in Christ. So, yes, I hope for every generation. In fact, the kids that love the Lord Jesus today, those that are really committed to him, are strong, wonderful Christian young yes. people. And I am extremely encouraged by that. Do you think they'll be able to handle the challenges ahead? The Lord will help them. You yeah. know, I believe he gives grace for every generation. Hmm. That's, that's hope-giving. <laughs> yes. That's good. Tell us about the Cove. You're involved in that right now. Tell us a little uh, bit about it. I haven't it. been there for the last few months. I've been down in Florida dealing with some issues. But, um, yes, the Cove is the Billy Graham Training Center right outside of Asheville. And it's absolutely beautiful. And What do you uh, do when you're there? When I, Oh, my goodness. Anything from that needs to be done from wiping down tables to picking up trash. or But my main job is to... Um, um, be with the people that come. They love to tell stories about their experiences. If you could, oh, I've had I've had more people come up to me and tell me they sang in such and such a choir and such and such a. I mean, hundreds, you know. And sometimes I get a little weary of that, but you know, I realize it's important to them. It is. And so you look at each person in the eye. You sit there in the lobby and you listen to their stories. But then I also uh, feel it's very important to encourage the staff. As a family member, I'm a basically I'm a family presence on the campus. And then in the afternoons, in most conferences, I do what they call a family chat. And that is a presentation. It's a PowerPoint presentation, about an hour and 10 minutes, in which I give the history of our family from the beginning to the end <laughs> with many, many, many stories. I bet you've got a few. <laughs> yeah, a lot of funny stories. Well, you're just an outstanding uh, young woman to speak with, and I know that you're full of the Lord. I want to come back to you and talk to you a little bit about the book, but we're going to do that just after this word from our sponsor. Some say that God has given up on America, but what do you say? Are you convinced that our God is a God of mercy? And are you desperate to pray until you see Him intervene and set godly leaders in place? Well then, you will love Intercessors for America, one of today's podcast's generous sponsors. Intercessors for America is committed to getting Christians all over the nation to cry out for God's mercy and revival. You can join the movement at getoutheprayer.com, where you can receive a free prayer guide and weekly updates on how you can stand in the gap for America. Again, visit Intercessors for America's website to get your free prayer guide at gettheprayerout.com. And now, back to the show.
And we're back with Gigi Graham again. We're so glad you're here, and we're already moved by your stories and, and your life. I want to, I've heard rumor that you might be working on a book. Is that true? If I can get some help, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, because I've been asked many, many times to write my life story. And I've had a very unusual life. It's, uh, in many ways, it's been tumultuous. I've, it's in blocks. Went away to boarding school at 13 years old. It was basically an arranged marriage at 17 and moved to Europe. And so it's it's been a very unusual story. I had one of my daughters call me one day, Mom, you've got to write your life story. I only read autobiographies and they're boring compared to your life. <laughs> so I've prayed about it. Mm-hmm. And if the Lord opens up the door, and I feel that even though all my other books, I have written myself every word. But if... If I have to write my story, I'm too close to it. Sure. I would need help. I need places where people say, no, don't go there, Gigi. Or, mm-hmm. yes, flesh this out, Gigi. Or, yes, we need to do this. So if I can find the right help and the right opportunity, I would be willing to do it. And the subject matter to me would be, I don't know if it's a title, but my working title is The Image Keeper. Talk to us a little bit about that. That I, I spoke with you just briefly before we began this podcast, and you mentioned that title. That opens up a Pandora's box to me of what is image and how do you keep that image being who you are. And you've been forced with that most of your life, right? Of course, I was born into that. Um, I don't think I've ever had my own identity. I was born into a, a family whose my grandfather had been a missionary, a medical missionary for 25 years in China and had retired in North Carolina. And when Daddy began to travel with Youth for Christ, he asked Mother where she wanted to live. And she said, I want to live then close to my parents. And so we lived right across the street. And um, my grandfather was a very well-known physician in the whole area there and helped build the hospital to what it is today. And so I was known as Dr. Bell's granddaughter. And then, of course, in the 50s, when Daddy became well-known, I was Billy Graham's daughter. And then it goes on through life, you know. Then I was my husband's father. And when we lived in Europe, I was my father-in-law's daughter-in-law. And then my husband's wife. And then my children's different children's mother. (laughs) You know. But uh, that's never really been a problem to me because um, each one of those people I'm very proud of and grateful for – But I think that, you know, everybody struggles with image. Um, Perhaps in a family well-known and in a Christian well-known family, uh, it's been a little more difficult Mm -hmm. because you don't want to disappoint. And you are going to disappoint people. You are going to fail. Where none of us are perfect. And um, I think that people today are looking for not so much perfection as they are authenticity. And I hope that whatever I can do in a book, it will be an authentic book. And it will help people in every walk of life in whatever image they're trying to achieve. And it's not just in our world. It's in every – I think that, um, you know, I'm mean, goodness. I, 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 go to, I went to the beach a couple of days ago with my grandchildren, and I looked a mess when I came home. And I try my best when I go out in my town to look decent. And I uh, looked a mess, and they wanted to go eat at a restaurant in my town. I mm-hmm. said, we can't go looking like this, you know, and ba- bathing suit cover-ups. And sure enough, they chose a restaurant, and I said, oh, well, I won't know anybody in here. I hope nobody. Sure enough, two people from my church are walking out as I'm walking in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's just a little tiny, simple example 
of image keeping. And image keeping goes along with pride. Right there with it. So why do you think these young people today, uh, and I, you know, I taught college for 40 years as a college professor, and I don't know that I had a student with a healthy self-image in the last 10 years. I don't, they're all troubled about who they were. They had trouble defining themselves. Or, and every college student is looking for that. They're looking for themselves, trying to identify still in their 20s. But still, even at that, they had an image problem of who they were. They didn't, didn't necessarily like who they were or maybe their thought life or some other thing they felt was broken. What do, what do you observed in that, in your own grandkids, your own life? In my personal life, I've always struggled with image, with self, with a good self-image. And I've, you know, things I've read, you know, I was married to a psychologist for many, many years, um, is I didn't have my daddy at home. And I believe a lot of times uh, the self-image for a woman, for a girl, uh, comes from her daddy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have your father at home, that sometimes is difficult. And today, there are not that many fathers. I mean, where are the fathers? You don't hear about fathers. And I think that can be a struggle. I think that the father is disappearing from the family. Did your dad ever talk with you about how much he missed? Did you ever hear him speak of it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He would, oh, yes. If he were to sit here today, he would say that was one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't spend more time with my family. Mm -hmm. How could he have been who he was called to be and, and been that guy? Well, and, you know, in those days it was different, too, because travel was different. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I had a mother that never complained. If she had complained every time Daddy left, it would have been different. But mm-hmm. she, Daddy would leave, and she would quote the old mountain man that used to say, let's make the least of all that goes and the most of all that comes. Let's prepare for his coming back again. Wow. And I thought, you know, that's a spiritual thing, too. That's what the Lord told us to do when he left this earth. So she raised strong children with that kind of language. She was a very strong lady and a feisty lady Mm -hmm. and a fun lady who loved practical jokes. Oh, good. (laughs) Tell us about a practical joke with your mom. Oh, my goodness. Well, I can tell you many, many. Come Mm -hmm. to the cove and you'll hear lots of them. And some of them came back to bite her. Uh-huh. I bet she got paid back. <laughs> but uh, she just she just enjoyed that type, and she was a wonderful sense of humor, and that helped, Good. a wonderful sense of humor. Gigi, you're such a blessing. Do you have anything in closing you'd like to say to, to people about living their lives and struggling through their own image? What, what bit of advice would you give us as we close this podcast? Well, I would say I'm going to repeat myself. Okay. Because I really feel it's so important that you don't look to anyone or any thing to be to you, but only Jesus can. Because if you're looking to, well, you know, because a lot of young people are looking for salaries or bigger jobs or nicer cars or bigger houses or marriage or children or whatever, um, they're looking for things or they're looking for a person. Yes, ma'am. You know, if I could just marry that person or if I could just, you know, have that particular job, those things they're looking for to satisfy and mm-hmm. to be to them. And nothing satisfies but Jesus. Everything is going to disappoint you except Jesus Christ, and Mm -hmm. he never disappoints. Are you satisfied today? Probably not, (laughs) because I would consider myself, uh, as a a Christian, I consider myself a struggler. Okay. I was born that way, I think. My mother used to say that there was never a little girl that tried harder to be good and was so bad at it than I was. (laughs) That's a pretty good label. <laughs> and I think 70 years later, it's probably just about as true as it was back then. But I would consider myself a struggler. 
And that's a good place to end this podcast. That might be the name of your book, The Struggler. Well, that would be true, too. <laughs> just send all commissions in. We'll, so. <laughs> we'll be you've been listening to just a wonderful interview with Gigi Graham. I'm blessed. I'm sure you've moved a lot of folks out there. You've helped a lot of people today, and we're thankful for that. Gigi Graham here at the Charisma Podcast Network in our show called Charisma Connection. God bless you all, and thanks for listening. This is Steve Green. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.